0: Welcome back, everyone, as we continue our studies in Genesis. And uh, if you've been following along, you know that I have been absent, uh, missing in action the last two weeks. Uh, my family and I got struck with COVID. And so now I know what everybody's talking about. But I just want to thank everyone for your, your prayers, your words of encouragement, your notes and emails and cards. And uh, though I'm not... yet, maybe 50%, uh, I'm back on my feet and thought I need to get back in the saddle and at least share something with you this week instead of just playing a a previous teaching. I felt badly that uh, the two Torah portions I missed were Lech Lecha and Vayera, and then this week's Torah portion is Kayasara. And these three Torah portions tell the entire story of Abraham from Genesis chapter 12 on up through chapter 25. And, um, and you know there's no individual in the Tanakh who is a towering figure like Abraham. There simply isn't a second place uh, character in the scriptures. Not even David uh, compares to Abraham and his significance as, a, as a, a mainstream character, an example, and an individual who is spoken of throughout the rest of the Word of God. Abraham stands alone. And what I find so strange is this. And I have to tell you also as we get into this that uh, being ill with COVID over the last three weeks I haven't been able to read and study and focus like I normally would. Uh, I spent most of my time just kind of sleeping or stretched out in my recliner thinking about a lot of nothing. But um, when I was able to think, I just kept pondering the life of Abraham, and especially this beginning part in Genesis chapter 12. Let's take a look at it. Genesis 12, verse 1. Adonai said to Abram, go for yourself from your land, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you I will curse, and all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. So Abram went as Adonai had spoken to him. Now leading up to this, we don't see any encounters between God and Abram. This is the first encounter. For all we know, God simply, out of the blue, talks to this idol-worshiping Gentile in the land of Ur and says, Leave. Leave the familiar. Leave home, leave your family, your father. And um, I'll show you where I'll take you, but right now, just leave, let's go. And Abram did. And this led me to ask a question. What was so special about Abram that made his faith and love for God so great? That was the question I was asking originally. Why did Abraham have such a great love and faith toward God? And I asked that question for days. And I would pray about it and I would think about it, review scriptures that I knew. And, and I just kept pondering and pondering, expecting some kind of an answer because I figured if we could tap in to the principle or into whatever it was that made Abraham this exceptional person with such great love and faith in God, that maybe we'd find a key to helping us have greater faith in God and greater love for him. But you know, no answer came. No answer came at all. And I kept getting this nudge in my spirit that I was asking the wrong question altogether. And that maybe it wasn't that there was anything special about Abraham at all. And my question evolved into this. Why doesn't all mankind have such love and faith toward God? And in fact, I'm not real crazy about that question either. In fact, I think we should probably just throw the question out and say this. Do you love God? Do you have faith in him? Just a little bit. Then Abraham's story is your story. Have you stumbled along the way in your walk with God? Abraham did too. And his story is your story. Have you been beat up by the world, disappointed by it? Disappointed by family? Even by a spouse? By your kids? So is Abraham. His story is your story. Was God faithful even when Abraham had failings in his faith? Has God been faithful to you, evil when you failed. It's because Abraham's story is your story. Abraham's story, I don't think, was meant to be an exceptional one. It's not the exception of this is how great faith in God can look like and how great love for God can be. Instead it's simply the pattern for anyone who loves God has faith in him and does his best stumbles along the way and still finds God faithful. God just out of the blue tells Abraham Lech Lecha there it is. The two words look identical. Lamech kaf. But they're two different words. Lech comes from the verb halak, which means to walk. And he's, it's a, in the form of an imperative. Go. Lech. And what do you go for? Lecha. This means toward yourself. Or for yourself. Go for yourself. Go toward yourself. And he says, go for yourself to a land that I will show you. Leave everything familiar. And out of the blue, God just says, Lech lecha. If you're following God today, then somewhere in your life, God just showed up out of the blue, maybe not in any spectacular way, but a little voice just said, leave the familiar. Take a first step of faith. Take a first step of just trusting God because there's something inside of you that said if God isn't real and if his word isn't true then life is a farce. It has no meaning. It's not even worth living. But if God is real if his word is true then this is the only adventure in life that really matters. That resonates with you. It resonated with Abraham. And Abraham's story is your story. Now, maybe you didn't have to physically leave home or move out of state, cut off communication with your family. But to some degree you had to move out of the familiar into maybe some theological territory that your family looked at with some suspicion. Maybe it meant moving away from investing your time the way you had been and investing it more in spiritual things and putting less emphasis on the things that your family and your friends and your culture says are the important things, and then to invest more of your time and energies and things that your culture and your family say don't matter as much. But in some way, you sense God's call, lech lecha, go for yourself. You didn't know where you were going, but you knew that if you didn't take that first step, would regret it the rest of your life. And you may still not have arrived at the place where God wants you to be. You know, it's interesting that five times in these chapters, God promises Abraham the land of Canaan. He says, I'll give the entire land to you forever. Five times he promises that. Yet Abraham never saw that fulfilled. The only piece of the land of Canaan he turned out owning was a, a little field with a cave in it, a place to bury his, his wife, Sarah. And even that little piece of land, he paid an exorbitant price for it, paid well more than what it was worth, so much more. And that was all the piece of the land of Canaan he got in his lifetime. Also, five times God promises Abraham that he'll have many, many, many children. He'll be the father of multitudes. He says your children will be like the sand of the sea. He says your children will be like the stars of heaven. But after decades, Abraham finally had one child to his wife Sarah, just the one. And he never saw this multitude of children, yet he walked with God. There was something in Abraham that knew that God was good. And when he looked at the world around him, he saw the darkness, he saw the pain, saw the suffering, but he knew that the failures in the world weren't because God failed because mankind failed and mankind failed because they walked away from God's word. He knew the story that God had created Adam and Eve and placed them in this paradise, Gan Eden, this beautiful garden where they walked with God in the cool of the evening, where life was perfect and beautiful and eternal. And God had given them a commandment. He said, you can eat of anything in this garden, but that one tree over there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that one you don't eat from. Because the day you eat of that, dying you shall die. The death process will begin in you. And for whatever reasons, they walked away from God's word. They threw his command behind their back. They ate of that tree. And death entered the world. Because of death, sin entered the world. And Abraham knew it was not God's failing that had brought darkness into the world. It was the failings of Adam and Eve. But Abraham also knew something deep here that, that you know as well. And that is that the tree of life is still available to us. Not the same way it was, where you could just walk up to it and tangibly, physically grasp it and feed on it. But the essence of the tree of life is still offered to us. And if we will begin to make our way back to the word of God, to once again embrace his ways and his word we can begin to experience the garden once again. And even though we live in a world of darkness and pain and suffering, there's a part of us that lives in a different world. And we can experience intimacy with God, walking with him and hearing his voice in the cool of the evening experiencing the delights of the good things he has for us. And though we still wait for his promises to be fulfilled in this dark world, we realize even the darkness itself is a phantom. And one day the sun of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings, and when he does, just as I watched the sun come up this morning, the dark goes away as if it had never existed. And the light of the Garden of Eden will grow and fill the earth. And it will become the only reality. And God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven because his kingdom will have come. So, lek, lekha. I challenge all of you to go for yourself and follow God. And when you go for yourself, you'll find yourself becoming yourself, your true self. I'd originally planned to share this quote with you from C.S. Lewis two weeks ago, but better late than never. It's from his book, Mere Christianity. I want you to hear what he says. You know, as we live in this world, we see people acting foolishly and bizarrely, They scar their bodies and mark their bodies and they they dye their skin and their hair and do all kinds of bizarre things to themselves, trying to become an individual, trying to become themselves, trying to find themselves and express themselves. But Lewis says there are no real personalities apart from God. There are no real personalities apart from God. Until you've given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. But there must be a real giving up of the self. You must throw it away blindly, so to speak. Christ will indeed give you a real personality. But you must not go to him for the sake of that. As long as your own personality is what you are bothering about, you're not going to him at all. The very first step is to try to forget about the self altogether. Your real new self will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you're looking for him. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself. You'll find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him everything else thrown in. This is an ancient truth found in those two words, "Lech Lecha." Go for yourself, God says to Abram. And when you do, you'll go to yourself. You find the real personality that God has for you. Only in abandoning yourself to God do you find Him, and you find the real you right there with Him. Because you can't be yourself apart from the Creator who's made you. And try to be yourself apart from your creator is futile and, and foolish. When God spoke to Abram and told him to go, he says, "I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you I will curse, and all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you." And of course, there's a very real literal surface meaning to that that through Abraham. All the people in the world will be blessed. Everybody will be blessed. Because it's through Abraham that God gave us the the children of Israel. He gave us his Torah, his word, his prophets, his covenants. Most of all, his Messiah. And through his Messiah, there's a, a messianic kingdom coming that will rule over the entire world. Every individual in history and in mankind is going to be blessed because of this individual. But there's something more going on than just that. Paul refers to it. In Romans 4, 16 to 17, and there's no really good way to take these verses that I want to get to and just pull them out of the chapter. You really need to read the entire chapter and and read chapter 4 in the context of the entire book of Romans. But we don't have that luxury this morning. So we'll just jump into verse 16. He's talking about Abram. And he says, for this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace. And he's speaking of that passage there in chapter 15, I believe it is. Where it says that Abram believed God. He just believed God counted it to him as righteousness. He just graciously said, that's righteous. You're a righteous man. Simply because you believed what I said. The God who cannot lie, you believe what I said. You're a righteous man, Abram. For this reason is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace. In order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, all the descendants of Abraham. Now, who are these descendants? not only to those who are of the Torah, this would be the Jewish people, the people who were there at Mount Sinai, and even the Gentiles who were there at Mount Sinai, and the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. You believe God. He says, that's a righteous thing. And he says, Abraham, who is the father of us all. Again, it goes back to the fact that if you love God, even a little bit, and if you have faith in God, even a small faith, that Abraham's story is your story. You're a child of Abraham. You're walking in the steps of Abraham. His story is yours. This story is your story. He's the father of us all. As it is written, the father of many nations have I made you. To be the father of someone means that that someone is like you. To be the son of someone is to be like someone. And if you have faith in God, if you love him, if you're stepping out of the familiar, even a baby step, to begin to discover your source, to turn your back on the world a little bit and begin to move back to the Garden of Eden, to return to God's command and to His word. Then, this is your story. This is your story. It tells us also there in chapter 13. I'm sorry, chapter 12. So Abram went as Adonai had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he had, when he left Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and Lot, his brother's son, and all their wealth that they had amassed and the souls they made in Haran. What an odd phrase. And it's the only phrase that give us, gives us a little bit of a glimpse into some relationship that Abram had with God before God said to him, lecha, go. But somewhere before then, Abram was already thinking about God. Abram was already beginning to realize that the mess in the world is our fault. But the God who created the world is good. That the God who created Adam and Eve is filled with love and filled with grace and filled with goodness. I really believe with all my heart that Abraham could have lived to hear Messiah come and teach and hear Yeshua tell the parable of the shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And one of the sheep went astray, just one. And how this good shepherd left the 99 sheep and went to search out for just that one. And when he found him, he rejoiced and brought him back and restored him to the flock. And of course, you know the parable so well. Yeshua said that, In the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one lamb, one soul that's gone astray and has been found and restored than over the 99 who didn't go astray. I just can't help but believe that if Abraham could have heard that parable, he would have said, well, of course, that's the way God is. Of course, God cares about the one stray sheep. Of course, he's going to leave and and seek that lost sheep and bring him back. Of course, that's how God operates. That's who he is. God is love. God's good. He's merciful and humble. He's gracious. Somehow, deep down, Abraham knew those things about God. This is the same reason why when that little voice says, leave the familiar, step away from it, begin to... Begin the adventure searching for me. You know deep down he's so good. You know deep down that in spite of the billions of people in the world, he's so aware of you. You by yourself. And he loves you. He cares about you. And your story matters to him as if it was the only story in the world. You know that's true. Abraham knew that was true. And before God called him in verse 1, somehow Abraham was so certain of God's goodness and God's love that he was sharing it with other people there in the land of Haran. And so when he, he left to follow God, these souls that he made in Haran went with him. So even though before Abram even heard from God, spoken with God, entered into covenant with God, had a, a history of walking with God, there was an awareness of him that he was already sharing with the people of his day. Whenever I read that verse, I always think of Proverbs 1130. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Now think about that. The tree of life is available to us. And the fruit of the righteous, and Abraham was a righteous man because he believed God's promise. He believed in the heart of God. He believed in the nature of who God was. And the fruit of the righteous man is a tree of life. These souls around Abraham were tasting and feeding on the tree of life. Even if it's just through the unformed and and the general teachings of this one man, Abraham from the land of Ur. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever wins souls is wise. It's odd that we think of soul winning as an evangelical thing. It's something that's happened since Yeshua came and since the gospel of the good news of what Messiah accomplished for us on the cross, that now we're to go out and win souls. But notice where this is located. This is back in Proverbs. This is written a thousand years before Yeshua was born. And we're being told here that winning souls is what a wise person does. Winning souls has always been a matter of finding souls who are hungry for God and giving them the fruit of the tree of life. And simply telling them that that hunger and thirst they have for something beyond this world is a very real hunger, a very real thirst. It's a hunger and thirst that can only be satisfied by turning around, going back to God's word, going back to the garden going back to the tree of life, going back to a place of sinlessness, a place of righteousness, and just doing your best to turn back to God, to love Him, and to believe in Him. We always think Abraham is being so bold when he argued with God. The messengers come and they hear the outcry of Sodom and and they go to descend to Sodom to hear what the outcry is all about and to see for themselves. And as you know, Abraham stays behind and he reasons with God, he implores God and And how does a man argue with the creator of the universe? I'll tell you how. Because deep inside, Abraham knew that God wanted to him to implore God for these souls. He knew that God was telling him of what he was going to do because he wanted to elicit in Abraham some interference, some intercession. He wanted Abraham to step up and to express to God what was already in God's heart all along. It's the same sort of thing God did with Moses on Mount Sinai when God talked about destroying the Israelites and starting over with a new race from Moses' descendants and Moses would have none of it. And you knew God was smiling in his heart because Moses was was being the intermediary between the people of Israel and God, their Redeemer. He was praying and arguing with God and, and telling God that you can't destroy these people. Your reputation's on the line. And he's telling God exactly the things that God would want to hear from a righteous man. He's telling God exactly the things that are already in God's heart all along. And so Abraham, with boldness, approaches God. And one of the things he says there in verse 25 is, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death of the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? And of course, the answer is yes. Of course, God would do what is just. And even though there were not even ten souls in Sodom that were righteous, worthy of being saved, God did save the few righteous that were there. He did take Lot and Lot's wife, and their two daughters, four people. But Lot's wife still could not obey God's word. Her heart was still in Sodom, and, and she disobeyed the commandment. She turned around and looked, and she did not make it. But God saved the three souls that he found, and they weren't all that righteous, but even those three he did find. God will find the lost sheep and bring them back. Here's how we can kind of summarize all this, these meandering thoughts of mine this morning. Behind us we have the garden, this place of beauty and perfection. This place where Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening. A place where there's no sin, there's no death. It's a place bursting with life and beauty and purpose. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, they were exiled from the garden. And so, we find find ourselves here in a quandary. And we see some people continuing to move away from the garden into darkness, continue to move away from God's word. And then there's some people who say, no more of that. I want to go back to the tree of life. I want to return to God's commandments, to God's word, to doing things his way. And though we find ourselves in this hot mess of this world, this place of darkness, this place of pain, suffering, death, Poverty, unfairness, when we see the wicked oftentimes in positions of power. And we see the good suffering in ways that are so unfair. And this is the world. This is the way it is right now. But even in the midst of that world, the same world that Abraham found himself in, we can also be a part of this world, not physically like this world over here. But in our inner world, in our spiritual essence, in our soul, our spirit and our minds, we can find ourselves in a place of peace with God, a place where we're loving God and loving our neighbor, in a place where we're walking in righteousness. We're getting stronger. We're getting better. Because someday, this world passes away. The Son of Righteousness rises with healing in his wings, and when he does, all this goes away. And all of this becomes the obvious, permanent, eternal reality that it is. Just because this world is apparent to our eyes. It's not real. But this world is. So the question is, how do we respond to the pain in this world? Abraham experienced pain, he experienced suffering here. So do you, so do I. But how do we respond to it? There's only one of two ways. One is we respond to it with humility and we realize that when tragedy strikes or COVID hits you and knocks your feet out from under you for weeks or when financial difficulties come or death or whatever it might be, you respond to it with humility Realizing that even in this, God is good. God loves you. God's faithful. God cannot lie. And though you may not see his promises all fulfilled in the short span of your life, his promises stand. His promises to you and to your family stand. And so in humility, you go ahead and embrace the pain You allow it to refine you, allow it to test you, allow it to make you stronger, more faithful, and a brighter light in this world. That's one way to respond. The other way you can respond to the pain of this world is with anger, with anger. And when you do that, you want to continue to strike out against this world. And in doing so, you strike out against the God who allowed you to experience pain. And because you're angry, you become self-protective. You begin to pull in the walls around you. You pull your head in like a turtle in its shell. And you decide you're going to withdraw more from the world and you're going to withdraw from God. I'm not going to give you my faith, my allegiance and obedience because you allowed the world to hurt me. And this is actually an act of great Pride. It's an act of great sin. Because everybody has trouble in this world. Everybody does. There are no exceptions to that. So how do you respond? With humility, realizing God runs the world and everything he allows me to experience in it is somehow for my good? Or with anger? Because it's not fair. Somehow you deserve better. I just encourage you to trusting, just to trusting. Because Abraham experienced all these things and sometimes he stumbled and fell. But his story is your story. We continue to see Abraham get up, learn lessons, and to move forward, and to trust God, to love Him, to be faithful. This is why he's the father of all who believe. And you know what? I don't think Abraham is the only Abraham that's ever been in this world. I've met quite a few of Abrahams in my life, more than I would have expected. Men and women who sense God's nudge in their life to Lech go for yourself, move away from the familiar. And they did. And they're people who the world has beaten up to a great degree, but they're filled with joy. They're filled with wisdom. And they're filled with laughter and courage and strength. And even in the painful things they experience, there's a joy that's unshakable. Because they know the God that they sensed in their hearts many, many years ago has proven over and over and over to be faithful, to be good, to be true. So what's the world that's passing away? And if getting bumped around and bruised by it for a few years here makes me stronger, makes me better... It makes me more of a light to people in darkness and it's worth it. Who's going to look back on this and say, oh, that was unfair. I wish that hadn't have happened to me. Who's going to do that? There's uh, something very important. The the Hebrew language, as you know, I, I find it so astounding. I find it so filled with with beauty and, and truth and meaning, that over and over and over again, though I shouldn't be surprised by it, I'm continually surprised and delighted by, by the, the, the power of the Hebrew language and how God hides away these beautiful truths and principles in the Hebrew. In Genesis 15.1, God tells Abraham, he says, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now that word for shield is the word mogain, or mogan sometimes it's pronounced. You know, we sing that song every Shabbat, Amelech ozer u moshiach u mogain, king, helper, savior, and mogain, shield. And uh, you may have heard of Mogan David. Uh, Mogan David, the shield of David, is uh, the star of David, the, the two triangles superimposed on each other. And there's the word for shield. This is, the first time, this is not the first time, though, the word is found in the Bible. But it's the first place we find this word, Mem Gimel Nun, translated Shield. But the first place it's found is way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 23. It says, Therefore Adonai God sent him, Adam, Mogain, from the Garden of Eden, to work the ground from which he was taken. I want you to look at something about this amazing word. If you divide the word between the first and second letters right here, What you get is the word gan, which is the Hebrew word for garden. Gan, Eden, is the garden of Eden. And whenever you put a letter mem in front of a noun, it means from. So mogain, shield, can also mean from the garden. Now, of course, here in Genesis 15, shield is a very positive thing. It's, uh, God says, I'm going to be a shield. I'm going to surround you. I'm going to protect you. And if anything gets through to you, Abraham, it's because I allowed it. Somehow good for you. But I'm protecting you from everything else. I'm a shield to you. I'm a protection to you in this world. But chapter 3, verse 23, is reminding us of this exact same word, Mem, gimel, nun, can mean from the garden. Now, when we take this over to Psalm 119, 114, this beautiful verse where David says, You are my hiding place. You're my hiding place. And you are my shield, my mogang. I hope in your word. I hope in your word, I'm looking for your word all the time. Now, what's interesting is that if you look at a printed Bible and look at the word shield in Psalm 119, 114, there's a dogish a dot, in the middle of the, the nun. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's no big thing. Most people just read and not even notice that. But scholars who who spend their lives studying such things, wonder why is this dogish this dot in the nun, this word in Psalm 119, 114. And they say that though the verse can be read as, you are my hiding place and my shield. They say that David is really Referring back, not just to the noun shield, but to the verb that lies behind the word shield. Shield is Mogain, but uh, behind it is a verb, the word Ganan, which means to surround, to protect, and to defend. That's the verb. And it's from that verb that we get the noun shield, which surrounds, protects, and defends. And they're saying here that they believe that from the spelling of the word and whatnot, that David is looking beyond just the physical shield, but to the verb, the action of God surrounding, defending, and protecting his people. And this protection, this place of hiding with God, and this place of being surrounded and defended by him, is connected with looking to his word Because you see, Gan Eden is a place that was different from the rest of the world. It was surrounded. It was protected. It was to be defended. It's a place where God's word ruled. And it's a place where man and God could have sweet and intimate fellowship together. And I think my point in all of this is this. If we will return to the garden, return to God's word and seek him, we'll find his word as a shield around us within the protection of that shielding word, within the shield of God's protective presence, of his love for us, His watch care over us, even amidst the pain that we might experience in this dark world, this temporary darkness, even then, within his shield, we experience a little of the fragrance of the Garden of Eden. That is Mogain, the shield, is Megan from the garden. It's a bit of the garden. What to the outside looks like a hard shield from the inside is a place of the tree of life. The word of God can be experienced. And if we'll just rely on his word and his promises, feed on his word, love him, trust him, we'll find Abraham's story more and more reflecting our own. We'll find our story in line with his in so many ways. God told Abraham way in the beginning of their walk together, lech lechah. But he tells Abraham lech lechah a second time. It's way over in Genesis 22. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, now take your son your only begotten son, whom you love, Isaac, and Lech Lecha, Lech Lecha, go for yourself to the land of Moriah. An offering there is an offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. The first time God said Lech Lecha to Abraham, apparently it wasn't a test. We're not told that it was. It's just God saying, go for yourself. This is good something you want to do, go. But this time it was a test. What was God testing Abraham for? Why this late and this far into the journey that Abraham and God have had together does God say, I want you to take this son that I promised you that you've been looking forward for, for all these decades and now he's here. In fact, we can look at the scriptures and see that this point, Isaac would have been about 37 years old. A strong, powerful man. In the, the prime of life. Abraham would have been 137 years old. In his declining years, an old man. And he tells Abraham, Lechlaka. Why does he have to do this again? What's the purpose of this Lechlaka that's different from the first one? The first Lechlaka was simply telling Abraham, follow what you know I've already put in your spirit, in your heart, that I'm good. You love me. Be faithful to me. Follow me. It's all going to be good. This world has nothing to offer you. Come follow me. Let's walk hand in hand back to the garden, back to the word of God, back to the place where we have real friendship together. So why this? Well, I look at my own story. God never told me to take one of my kids and, and offer him up on a mountain. But there has been a test of God. I think one of the hardest things for me is not to trust God that he'll come through. Not trusting God that he loves me and that he will never fail. I think that part's pretty easy, especially now. My problem has always been never trust myself not to fail. I could never trust God that others wouldn't fail. And that somehow God's plan for my life be sidetracked, not because he let me down. but because I let him down. Or other people would interfere with just such a degree that they would prevent God's ultimate purpose from being accomplished in my life. So this testing here, this second lekah, I think it addressed this. Because Abraham had seen himself fail in the past. But here he had to see can I really go through with this and not let God down? And I can I trust my thirty seven year old son. Let me go through with this. Will he prevent me from passing this test? I'm not putting this in words very well. But I think too many times in our lives we have this great faith that God can do anything. And he will. He'll succeed. He's he, he's perfect. He's powerful but I'm going to mess it up. And my brothers and sisters in faith who I rely on, they'll mess it up too. And God has to take us through some kind of an experience where he tests us to the point where we realize even if I do mess it up, even if those who I rely on mess it up, God still brings it about. God still succeeds. And you know how the story ends. The last moment, God stops Abraham and says, Abraham, don't raise your hand against your son. He says, now I know. Now I know that you really trust me. Because you can trust me to work through all the failings of yourself and through others and even through death itself, you trust me. In our early walk with God, we love him because of the things he does for us, the things he's done for us through Yeshua. But I think there's a second lek that comes in our life at the time of God's choosing, when he just wants to test our hearts and just say, do you love me? Do you just love me. Despite whatever I've done for you, can you just love me as a friend? Can you love me as a friend who owes me nothing? can you just give yourself to me so I've given myself to you? Can you just love me? I believe God has one weakness. I know that sounds blasphemous, but I think he has one weakness. And it's this. He just wants people to love him. The reason we want people to love us is because reflecting that thing in God he wants people to love Him, and this is what makes Him vulnerable. This is what allows His heart to be broken. This is what allows Him to be saddened. but he'll love us whether we love him back or not. But if you want your story to align with Abraham's story, so when God takes you through this second lech when you see no good outcome, when you see only death, death is the only outcome, the only possible outcome, And you just love God anyway. And you face up to it and you go through. You rise to the challenge. You won't regret it. I know you won't regret it. I wanted to take time to read Psalm 91 together, but... Hopefully in your groups you've read that this morning already because it is the psalm I've selected to go with this teaching this week. It's a powerful psalm about how God is a shield and a fortress around us if we'll simply tell him, Father, you are my fortress, you are my shield, I trust in you. And I challenge all of you to do that. And... Uh, The questions for this week are these. In what ways has your own walk with God paralleled that of Abraham? And did any of Abraham's failings prevent God from accomplishing his will through him? And what did Abraham spend his life looking for? What did Abraham spend his life looking for? And the answer to that is over in Hebrews chapter 11. And the fourth question, has your faith been challenged by what you see as a lack of faith in fellow believers? And so, I hope you will have some meaningful discussion around those questions. And um, I know this teaching has been quite different from others and kind of rambling and but uh anyways, now you know where my head's been the last few weeks as i, if I as i 've been suffering with covid, but uh, hopefully i 'll have my energy back next week, and we can dive in in a more more specific and, and, and pointed way so let 's close with prayer, our Father and king. we thank you so much that you are our Father, you are our king, Lord. I pray that we have a a healthy and proper fear for you but lord i pray that our love for you would grow and grow and grow all the more and our faithfulness and that lord we would pass the tests that you will put in our ways and that even when we fail them lord we realize you still succeed and your plan through us and with us is it derailed but even our failures become part of your blueprint for our lives. Lord, help us to see ourselves in the life of Abraham and to see Abraham's life as filled with lessons for all the things we experience here. And Lord, as we walk in a dark world, may we be walking back to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And surrounded by your shield, hope in your word, and experience within the surrounding protection of your Mogain, we would smell the fragrance that comes from Megan, from the garden. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen.